Hey guys, welcome to Kids Coach Podcast, episode 11. My name is Larry Kramer and I'll be your host today. We have a great one for you. It's actually our student coach podcast with Jarrett Medlin and Mark Moore. They're gonna be talking about how to engage or how to help kids and students engage in scripture. It is a great one. I can't wait to have you guys listen to this. So let's dive in and listen to Jarrett Medlin and Mark Moore. Hey, coaches, welcome to the Coaches Podcast. Today, I'm joined with the one and only Mark Moore. Welcome, coaches. Glad you're joining in. Mark, thanks so much for uh, sitting down today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know coaches probably just think, what is this awesome, crazy man like? I I think that's what they're all thinking, yeah. (laughs) More crazy than awesome, I'm sure. (laughs) So... I just thought I'd ask you some questions so we could go, get to know you just a little bit better. So, Mark, um, how about this? What's your favorite way to exercise? Uh, actually, you know, I, I love to swim. And this is like, I look stupid when I do it. So my <laughs> wife designed this pool for our backyard. And it's not that long. It's 28 feet long. So I'm not going to swim laps in it. But she discovered this. Uh, it's called, is a swim pole where you you put a, 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 just a just a sleeve in the deck, slip a fiberglass pole in there, tied to a rope that's connected to a waterproof belt. I look like a giant fish that's been caught, but it, it actually is the best way to keep in shape and get in shape quickly. So let me, let me get this straight. You put a leash on. I put a leash, leash on my waist, <laughs> yeah, and I act like a marlin that's been caught. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, do you have video of this? Can we can we share this with I, coaches? I think somewhere there is video. It's probably under lock and key right now. You know, we have to get this video and show it at camp. <laughs> I, this is golden. This could almost rival the Dustin Mark Moore joke. It could, it could be, especially if I do the butterfly, which I suck at. But anyway, there it is. That's it is my favorite way to exercise. Definitely the hardest stroke. Okay, all right. So you're a swimmer. How about your favorite place to eat in Phoenix? Ooh, so a friend of mine came into town. This guy is loaded. <laughs> so he said, I want you to pick a nice restaurant. And then we went out on a double date, his wife and mine. We went to Dominic's Steakhouse. Okay. I'm just saying, I, I will probably never go there again because each plate was easily $150. Each plate. Best piece of fish I've ever sea bass. My wife got a steak and she said it was the best steak she's ever had. But the service, the ambiance, unbelievable. So Dominic's, definitely, but I'll never really go to that again. <laughs> okay. How about guilty pleasure place to eat? There is, and I hate to even admit this because people think I'm healthy. I'm really not. <laughs> there is a donut shop on Greenway right. Uh, just east of I-17. And whenever I go to the North Phoenix campus, I swing by there and get like five donuts. It's, it's, it's terrible. What kind of donuts are you picking? I will, if my wife's with me, she's going to get the Boston cream. I'm going to go with something like a caramel coating on top uh, or butterscotch coating. Something, you know, raspberry filling is always good. But I also like those, they're like a cake donut. Uh-huh. Uh, sour cream. Oh, oh. I may need a private moment here. <laughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, moving on. Uh, how do you unwind? My favorite thing, Jared, is to make sawdust. 
So I've got a full wood shop in my in my shop and just finished making a table for a friend of mine. It was the most beastly thing I've ever done. It was a solid walnut table, dining room table, five feet in diameter. Yeah. Two inches thick on the top. Like no one person could lift it. We had to actually lift it and assemble it in three pieces. That is so cool. So yeah, it's as, a lot of fun. As if you can't already teach like Jesus, now you just have to be a <laughs> carpenter and build like Jesus. You would do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually better than him. But only because I had better tools. See, you know, he's using all hand tools that I've got a shopsmith, so I cheat. Oh, it's awesome. Okay, you just released a brand new book, Core 52. I know some of our coaches probably know about it. Some of them probably yet to hear about it. Tell us, where did this come from? How long did it take you to write it? What are your hopes and dreams for the book? Yeah, well, this this book is actually really exciting for me. Uh, I think it's number 17. I haven't really counted, but this one is the best publisher I've ever had, Multnomah uh, Random House Press. They've done an incredible job with editing and packaging and everything going around. There's also a website that goes with it, core52.org. The whole premise of the book, Jared, and I, I think this is so good, the number one discipline for going further, faster in your faith, number one, hands down, it's not prayer, it's not even going to church. It is reading the Bible on your own four days a week or more. So what I recognize is that everybody's busy. The Bible's a big book, it's kind of intimidating. It's an old book, it's easy to get lost along the way. So with all of my experience of 22 years in a classroom, 35 years in the pulpit, I have a pretty good idea of what passages take people further faster. Mm -hmm. I've identified the 52 verses that I think are the most important verses for Christians to know and have in their heart so that God can transform their life. And so I've identified those and then just wrapped uh, five days of exercises around each verse. It is getting unbelievably positive responses from people. And I'm, 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 I thought it was a good idea. You always hope that it works out, <laughs> uh, but it's actually done, done better and made more of a difference in people's lives than, than I expected. That's so cool. That's so cool. Hey, I want to say thank you personally because I've been diving into your book. I just finished the Son of Man chapter. and uh, Daniel it, 7, 13, yeah. It's awesome. It's It's been great for me. I just got uh, my T group uh, involved in it with me. I'm I'm super excited just to, just to link arms with a couple other guys, uh, dive into scripture together. And I love your essays that you wrote. I think it's so practical. I would actually recommend this, and I brought this up on purpose yeah. because I would recommend this to every youth coach because I just think it's it's as the pastors of our student ministry, which you are if you're a youth coach, we have to we have to understand the Bible and be able to talk about it in a way uh, that challenges our students. And I think this is just a great tool to get you there. So a couple ways, uh, Mark, just remind us, uh, where can coaches pick up this book? Yeah, right. actually, I'm uh, getting ready to do a book signing at Costco. So there's been in a number of Costco's, but Books A Million, Amazon has it. It's trending number one in the category of Christian discipleship on Amazon. So pretty much anywhere books are sold for guys, I'm really glad to tell you this, it's on audio as well. So if you just go to the website core52.org, there's a purchase 
kind of link a two-thirds way down the page and they can click on the audio and wh- however you consume audiobooks it's there and I convinced the publisher to let me read it myself. So <laughs> yeah, so you actually have my voice on it, not someone else's voice, you know, trying to read what. So I, I get excited. It is, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little preview. On the very last chapter talking about heaven, I didn't manufacture this. I actually got seriously choked up mm-hmm. uh, thinking about, <laughs> getting choked up now thinking about it. The, the, all of our efforts serving God all of our lives. When we see him face to face, it's just, it's going to be worth it all. So there's core 52. And part of what I, what I really love about it, Jared, is so many people try to make theology so complicated. It doesn't have to be. And if you've ever been to Disneyland and got a fast pass and you just like, you're walking by all the, like there's a thousand people in line and you're walking to the front of the line. You kind of feel guilty, but also falsely arrogant because like I'm a VIP this book tries to do with theology what the Fast Pass does at Disneyland. I, I just want you to get in the front of the line. So cool. So cool. Thanks for taking the time to write the book. It's impacting me and hopefully going to impact a lot of coaches. Thank you. So I wanted to talk to you just a little bit more about the Bible today. We're in the middle of a series right now in high school talking about the Bible. You're teaching the series. And then later this fall, all of our junior hires, we're going to be in another Bible series. And what we're just seeing uh, more and more common with our students is is they just don't know. They don't understand uh, the Bible. So I just want to ask you just a couple questions uh, so that we as coaches can just be sharper in this area. Yeah, before you ask the question, I just want to commend you for doing that, Jared, because we actually, we know that knowing the Bible better makes you better. The, the stats are very clear. Drinking drops by 60%. Pornography drops by 50%. Gambling drops by 45%. And it's not because we're being legalistic. It's because when people hear God's voice in their life, and this is the other part of the stats, their self-esteem rises by 30%. Self-injurious uh, thoughts lower by 30%. Loneliness and isolation drops by 30%. So literally, the things that your students are struggling with, the Bible, just reading it. I'm not talking even about the content, but God's word in their lives makes them better at life because they have a better view of themselves. So thank you for putting the Bible front and center. It's actually a double whammy that we're receiving right now. It's not just the the push on social media and the screen time that dominates so that people have less time for the Bible. Our entire culture is drifting towards biblical illiteracy. And look, even if I wasn't a Christian, I would advocate people knowing the Bible. Number one bestseller for 300 years running. It, it has been translated, I mean, not even a close second how many language is it's in. It is the most important formation for Western culture. So if you just want to be an intelligent, well-informed human being, this is a book that you need to, need to be familiar with, but we're not. So references in politics, in movies, in songs, in entertainment are waning. So not only do students not take time to read the Bible, the cultural references that used to be thicker are now disappearing before our very eyes. We have a problem. Yes. And I think one of the things that our students are probably seeing because of the presence of social media, uh, we're seeing the Bible get attacked and it, it, the Bible's always been attacked, yep. but maybe it's just a little bit more visible. Even right now, I feel like 
on Twitter or on social media all the time. I'm just seeing people make arguments against uh, scripture, calling out inerrancy or saying the Bible's way off base. Uh, what would you say to that? Like, how would you uh, want our coaches to speak to those kinds of objections to scripture? Yeah, well, let me ask, ask answer the question behind the question. You know, the Bible has been attacked, but that's nothing new. The Bible has been attacked since it was first written. Uh, in fact, and I'm, I'm probably going to screw up the name. I believe it was uh, Frederick Nietzsche, the God is Dead movement. Mm. One, and there was actually a call to disband the Bible in Great Britain. And it's, it is a worthless book. It's deceiving people within, so this philosopher, and, I, and actually I don't think it was Nietzsche, but there was a, a, a an anti-Christian philosopher who called for the death of God, had called for the death of the Bible and said, within one generation, no, nobody will be reading this book anymore. Well, that was in the, you know, like 1940s, 1950s. Within one generation, people were still reading the Bible and his house had been turned into a Christian publishing center <laughs> for the Bible. So I'm not, honestly, I'm not that concerned when people attack the Bible because it's like attacking a lion. Uh, you think it's passive and it opens up its mouth and roars and you go, holy crap. Our goal is just to open up the Bible. We don't, though we can defend it in some ways, I think we need to just open it. And so, for example, the most common objection people have is the Bible contradicts itself. My, here's my response every single time. Show me. Just show me. But what you say it contradicts itself. Show me. And most of the time they go, well, I don't know, I've just read. Okay, well, then you're ignorant. It's what you just said. You, you really don't know. So can I show you the number one contradiction? This is, again, this is the number one contradiction people show. At the tomb of Jesus, one of the gospels says there were two angels. The other gospel says there are one. And I just say, is that a contradiction? Or maybe one gives a little more information. They go, oh yeah, it's like, well, why would that be? Well, because Matthew tends to count. He was a tax collector. He counts two. And Luke, he's only interested in the one who spoke. So there were two there, but only one spoke. And you should see people's face when they hear that. It's like, really? So that's the best people have? Apparently. Now, there are some other more difficult uh, things in the Bible, but most people are completely ignorant of the real difficulties, and they're just spouting off something that they've read on the internet, or worse, heard from a friend on Facebook. Yeah. So when uh, you see in National Geographic episodes on Netflix saying that there's hundreds or thousands of errors in the Bible, what do, what do they really poking holes at when yeah, they're saying so, that? Actually, what they're, what they're identifying, and this, this is not the content of the Bible. This is the reproduction of the Bible. Those are two different things. One is an issue of history or archaeology. Uh, and there's some challenges there. I'm, I'm not, not going to pretend like there's not. But what that's talking about is reproduction of the text. So for until the invention of the Gutenberg printing press in, I think it was 1453, everything was done by hand. The more copies you make, obviously the more errors that you're going to have. And here's what's interesting, Jared. Uh, I actually... I'm not an expert in a lot of things. I am an expert in textual criticism. Mm -hmm. And as I read the Greek New Testament, I don't just read the text. I look at the footnotes to tell me what the variants were. 
almost all the variants, and again, speaking as an expert, I don't, again, I don't mean to brag or promote myself. It's actually, it's actually confession. I'm that boring that I spend hours and hours in these <laughs> stupid kind of things. The most common errors are like Jesus Christ and most other manuscripts have Christ Jesus. <laughs> and you go, say what? Or, or there's a, a the that's missing or a word that the spelling changed or a, a phrase that was at the end of the sentence instead of the middle of it. Look, if you take out and this is not me speaking, this is a real expert. F.F. Bruce uh, has now uh, gone to be with the Lord, but he was a real expert in textual variations. And he said, if you take out all of the known discrepancies, so you have a, a, an outlier here, a word that's misspelled, or you have an and missing in this, nobody cares about those. Yep. If you remove all of those, the biblical manuscript is 99.9% exact what Paul had written, or Jesus, or when Jesus didn't write a bit, Mark and, and John. So the, the level of integrity is unbelievably high. Uh, and that's just textual criticism. We, if you look at the number of manuscripts we have, over 5,000 manuscripts of part or all of the New Testament, and then you add the church fathers that quoted it, letters that were written, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of documents to confirm. Now, that makes the, the error count go up, but it also makes the overall percentage of confidence go up as well. Now, someone might say, what about the 0.1%? Here's where it gets extraordinary. Christians are the only ones that are that are really honest about the errors in their sacred text. Muslims aren't. They will say in the Quran, it's never been changed. Most of the documents that were changed, they destroyed to destroy the evidence of contradictions. We never did that. And the documents that we do have show a higher level of discrepancy in the Quran than ever is in the, the Bible. Same thing could be said about the Book of Mormon. So what about that 0.1%? If you look in the footnote of your English Bible, go to Mark 16, verse nine, it will say from here to the end of the chapter, we're not sure if it was in the oldest manuscripts. Like we're honest about it. We're not hiding anything from anyone. So even that 0.1%, which is fractional, we will tell you where that fraction is so you can decide for yourself. That's so cool. So cool. How about this? For our students who are, uh, like you said earlier, biblically illiterate, Yep. what do you think are the biggest hurdles to help them engage scripture? Whether I, let me let me reverse the question. Not what are the hurdles, but what are the what are the uh, open lanes that we can really help Fair them enough. with? Yep. I think YouVersion and Bible app is one of the greatest gifts of God to the whole church in all the history of the church. Because not only can you do Bible reading plans, you can have a Bible in your pocket all the time for free in multiple languages. Like if you're studying a different language, you should have that language on your YouVersion app and learn that language by reading the Bible. Why not? But for a lot of guys who don't read, it will read it to you. There's audio versions. So now suddenly we're reading, we're hearing the Bible like the original audience. They didn't read the Bible. Yep. They heard the Bible. So that's one huge advantage. Here's another huge advantage that we have. Christian music, when I was a student, was terrible. <laughs> it was like, it was ridiculously bad. Our Christian music is better than it's ever been. 
And in fact, there's so much crossover. It used to be that a Christian artist, once they got famous, would become a secular artist. And now it's, it, it, we're seeing some of the opposite trends of some of the secular artists actually writing Christian songs. U2 is, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, band. Some of the country music is actually quite faith-based. Uh, some of the greatest rappers now are Christian rappers that are, are crossover artists. So there's, there's an amazing amount of power in music, which of course the center of the Bible is Psalms. Yep. Does it make sense? So that's another tool that we can use. There, there are other tools like, um, there is actually a cartoon graphic for every book in the Bible now that explains the entire Bible, and I think it's, it's called the Bible Project. They're three to five minute videos. It's just stinking awesome. Yeah. And I'm telling you, as a Bible scholar, those guys are legit. Mm -hmm. So with a five minute cartoon, I can learn more about the Bible than I could in an hour and a half or three hour lecture at a, at a Christian university. Those are just some of the things that I think are our greatest advantage. But if you, if you want to get your students to know the Bible, you have to make at least two moves. And they're not hard. Number one, get them to read chapters or books in one setting. Mm -hmm. I would start with James or John. They were both very close with Jesus. And if you can get students just to read the Bible themselves, it is not what we teach people that lasts. It's what they discover that lasts. That's huge. Say that again. Say that again. That's huge. It's not what we teach people that lasts. It's what they discover that lasts. And students at, between the ages of 15 and 18, it's usually 16, 17-ish, their brains, and this is going back to Piaget's psychology, their brains are at the point where they can have abstract thoughts on their own. Before that, it's just kind of rote. Middle schoolers are not really good at discovering new things, uh, except debate, they love that. But high schoolers are exercising this muscle. I think that's why so many high schoolers are actually critical of the church and of the Bible, because they're learning to exercise this new muscle of contradiction. And it's very healthy and very helpful that they do that. We need to help them do that in a way that's positive and productive. So I wouldn't be thrown off or shocked by any objection that they have, I would just say, that's a really good question. You figure it out. Like, don't give them an answer, but give them the resources to get the answer. When they discover the answer, rather than you telling them the answer, suddenly they're bought in, and guess what? They become evangelistic with their friends. But they won't evangelize their friends with what you tell them. They will evangelize their friends with what you help them discover. Yeah, I think that is so huge, especially for what we're learning about Gen Z. They they need to wrestle with the text. And coaches, that that is one of your primary responsibilities when it comes to helping students engage scripture. Help them wrestle with it. You're not their coach to tell them another sermon. You're their coach to challenge them to engage scripture and wrestle with it on their own. And, and I, I realize that that's a little bit of a risk that you take, but that's part of journeying alongside students. Yeah, and I, it, actually, I, I think it's a, we think it's a way bigger risk than it actually is. Mm -hmm. Because self-discovery and even, look, we all have questions. Why are we so afraid of questions? I'll tell you why. And it goes back to Martin Luther at the Reformation. Martin Luther said, uh, when he was confronted by the Catholic Church, on this text I stand, like sola scriptura, 
on, on the Bible alone. But then he said, and plain reason. He was wrestling with questions, right? And so since Martin Luther, we have had this wrong-headed notion that the church is based on the Bible. That's not true. The church is based on Jesus. And if there was no Bible, but there was still a Jesus, I would still be a believer. And what we need to point people to is a relationship with Christ. Let them, you don't need to defend the Bible. Look, if it's God's word, who are you to defend it anyway? Right? Who am I to defend it? It's way above my pay grade. That's right. Let God's word speak. And even if people question it, it will speak truth in their lives that's transformative. Let's stop defending the Bible and let's start pointing people to Jesus. That is going to get more of a hearing from Gen Z. That's right. Mic drop on that statement right there. Hey, I wanna I wanna speak to just a couple things that you said. One was about the YouVersion Bible app. I think one of the misconceptions we have as coaches, I, I, I've heard this recently from a coach that our students just automatically know how to engage it. Let's not, let's not assume that as coaches. I think some of the default translations on YouVersion might even be King James version. So yeah. let's make sure when we're pushing our students to YouVersion that we're guiding them through uh, how to select a interpretation of scripture. Uh, I love the NLT uh, for students. I think it's a great translation um, for them to read in. Let's make sure that they know how to navigate it a little bit. And if we need to walk them through how to start a plan or how to join a plan so that you can do it together, uh, that's your job as a coach. So don't neglect that. And then to the Bible Project resource, I can't reiterate that enough. I personally love the Bible Project. It's another awesome podcast. I'll throw the link in the show notes show notes of this podcast. Um, but the Bible Project is a great resource. In fact, they have a whole series of videos that speaks directly to helping students understand the Bible. And it's not specific to students. It's helping people understand the Bible. I think it's it's up to like 13 videos in a series and they're mm-hmm. continuing to add to it. So again, I'll throw the link in the show notes, but that would be a great added Bible study thing that you could do midweek with your students and you could just gather your students together and you could watch one Bible project uh, video a week and talk about it as a group. A great way for you as a coach to raise the bar of biblical literacy for our students. And Jared, I would ask you to throw another link in there to uh, core52.org because the I've done a lot with Bible study. Right, I've, you know, I got my undergraduate in, in Bible, then a couple of master's degrees, a PhD on top of that. Uh, I read in the original languages. I've done a ton with apologetics, textual criticism. My resume with the Bible is long. I'm not saying that to build myself up. Here's what I'm saying that for one thing. Hands down, the most important thing I've ever done to know the Bible is memorization. Mm. And that's open to everyone. So where would you start memorizing? Uh, I would I would actually start with the core 52 verses because you know they're going to take you further faster. You don't even have to buy the book. But if you go to core52.org, you not only have a teaching video on that verse, but you also have a separate memorization video where I literally stand in front of a camera and memorize the verses with you. That's something that you could do with your students. And I'm just telling you, the more scripture that you memorize, the more ammunition you're giving to the Holy Spirit for transformation. 
So cool. I'm so glad you did that. That was actually going to be my recommendation for the takeaway for this episode's podcast. Um, I just want to challenge our coaches to pick up Core 52. And if it's not right now, then maybe that's a good goal for you to set in 2020. Uh, I, I think it's a, a phenomenal book. It's one of my favorite devotionals that I've read. And coaches, I, I, I think that you will be so glad uh, that you picked that book up. Yeah, and I, I promise you, if you actually do this with your students, hold them accountable and they hold you accountable, you will learn more in 2020 from memorizing 52 verses than you've learned in the last 10, 20, or 30 years of your life in the Bible. Self-discovering. Yep, yep, it's working for me. So yeah, and I'll pile on to, to one thing about that. If I could just teach a little bit of Bible, uh, you remember in <laughs> Ephesians six where Paul talks about the armor of God. Yep, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. When he comes to the sword, you remember what he calls it: the sword of the Word of God. That's actually not the Bible. It's biblical content, but the word for word is not logos, which is the printed word. It is rhema, which is the spoken word. You think that reading the Bible is gonna send the devil packing? It doesn't. He didn't care if you read the Bible, but as soon as you start speaking it, he turns on his heels and runs. Hmm. That's huge. Yeah, that's a, I've never thought about that verse that way. Wow, that was amazing, coaches. Some key takeaways that I took was you version. Let's check out YouVersion, a great resource, an app for us to help us be better Christians and also see what the Bible has to say. And in Core 52, Mark's book that he wrote, let's try this year to memorize 52 verses to help us be better and to grow in our relationship with Christ. Again, thanks for listening. And if you haven't checked out any of our other episodes on this podcast, check them out because they're all to help coaches be great coaches. Again, until next time, make it a great day.